Hey everyone, before we get into tonight's stories, I want to let you know that Universal Yums has holiday boxes. They make these really, really incredible holiday treat boxes for anyone in your family. The kids, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, cousins, third cousins, twice removed, doesn't matter who. These are the perfect gift. They come with delicious treats from all around the world. I've been having them once a month sent to my house, and I never regret it. It's always so much fun to learn a little bit about the cuisine from different places, even if it's just candies and little snacks, because you get certain flavors that we don't just we just don't get here in America. It's a fun thing to do by yourself if you just want to spend the holidays alone from everyone, or if you have a family member coming over, a few family members coming over. It's a fun thing to sit down and enjoy with a lot of people, share everything, and kind of debate on what's good and what isn't. Check it out down in the description below. It's the top link. If you pick up a box, it really, really helps out the channel. And thank you again to Universal Yums for sponsoring the channel. Take care, everyone, and happy holidays. Last week, I had the weirdest dating experience in my life. Just to put everything into context, I'm not crazy about the online dating thing, but I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and figured, why not? I ended up matching with this gorgeous woman, who I'll refer to as Daisy. Daisy and I started talking, and at first, she seemed really cool. We eventually decided to meet up on a spot near her, roughly an hour away from where I live. Finding a parking spot took longer than expected, so when I finally arrive, I'm thinking I'm going to have to apologize for being late. Unfortunately, I see that Daisy was nowhere to be found. To add insult to injury, all of my texts and calls go unanswered for the next ten minutes. This, in turn, leads to the assumption that I've been stood up. Annoying, but not the first time it's happened. Just as I'm about to leave, I see her rounding the corner in a stunning outfit. She's every bit as beautiful as I envisioned, which probably helped me forget the poor communication just seconds prior. Daisy explains that one of our friends was having an issue, and she needed to be there to calm her down. We continued on with the date, and everything seems cool. Daisy was a lovely girl. We vibed the whole time. The only snag was her mentioning how she was looking for a father for her baby boy. Up to that point, she hadn't said anything about children. Something that I respectfully am not looking for. I have a lot to figure out in my own life, and I'm just not in a place where I feel comfortable being an adult figure in a child's world. I informed her that... I wasn't the best person to be around children, and she just kind of laughed it off. She gave me a whole spiel about how I'd actually be great with kids and how I just needed to trust myself. Then she went on to explain the right woman would somehow bring out the father in me. It was weird, but whatever. I asked if she was still close to the baby's dad, which led to a tangent about how she thought she could make him into the perfect man, but... He was too resistant to change. 
When asked more about this, she simply referred to trying to make all the pieces fit in his life in a certain way, but ultimately he couldn't be molded into what she wanted. Seeing that this was headed towards a toxic place, I opted to just change the subject and continue on with the night. By the time 11 o'clock rolled around, I was feeling exhausted and decided to head home. After saying our goodbyes, I go to find my car, but before I even get in, I see it's been vandalized. The headlights were smashed, my tires were slashed, and one of my windows was broken. Oddly enough, nothing was stolen. It just appeared that someone had taken out their anger on my vehicle. Right as I'm about to call roadside assistance, I hear someone yelling my name. Lo and behold, Daisy just so happened to be driving right past. Unprompted, she decides to pull into the parking lot, and she immediately notices the damage. After inspecting my car for a few moments, she suggested that we go back to her place to hang out for a bit, and she can take me back after. At first, I was reluctant, but after looking at Uber and Lyft prices and hearing a convincing argument from Daisy about how bad Uber is in the area, I agreed. I got everything squared away with having my car towed, and we headed off to her apartment. When we arrived, the first thing I noticed was how clean everything was. There wasn't a speck of dust or item out of order. When Daisy turned on the TV, it was already set to Netflix, and a bowl full of snacks was neatly placed on the table. It appeared as though she was expecting company. But what I found the oddest was that there was no babysitter. What good parent leaves a baby completely unattended for hours at a time? When I asked her about this, she simply laughed it off and made a comment about how her son was too good to need someone to watch him, and how she didn't trust others in her home. Definitely weird, but I didn't necessarily feel comfortable lecturing her about how to raise her own kid. Before picking a movie, she asked if I wanted to meet her son. Internally, the answer was absolutely not, but she was my free ride, so I opted for the most awkward sure I'd ever given. She disappeared into another room with a giddy scream and soon returned with the young boy wrapped in a blanket. She was whispering something to him and with a loving smile, invited me to come over and say hello. I did as I was told, and walked over to greet the baby. I went to peel back the blanket on what should have been a sleepy-eyed young boy, but my immediate reaction was to jump back and yep to my horror. I was met with the disgusting face of a decrepit porcelain doll. Its single eye rolled back into its skull, and a fat roach seemed to have made a home in its dislocated mouth. The once white skin was stained black, and various cracks ran around its head. For a moment, I genuinely thought this was some kind of horrible prank. But the look of love and acceptance on Daisy's face was authentic. She eyed the doll like any mother would their child, and the soft kisses she gave it solidified the fact that it didn't register 
and she wasn't holding a human. She gave me a big smile and asked if I thought her boy was beautiful and I couldn't even form a proper reply. I just fumbled my way into asking if I could use the bathroom. She nodded and casually pointed me to the bathroom in her room. I took the opportunity to half-sprint down the hallway towards it. Instinctually, I locked the bathroom door behind me and splashed some water on my face, trying to sober myself up from this nightmare. When the reality of the situation hit, I stood there for minutes, trying to think of a way to excuse myself from whatever hell was going on. My thoughts, however, were interrupted by what sounded like a soft yet persistent crying noise. Thinking that Daisy was coming to check on me, I unlocked the door and cracked it open slightly, but didn't see anyone in the room. Curious, I cautiously made my way out of the bathroom, trying to keep as silent as possible and followed the source into a walk-in closet. Preparing myself for the worst, I took a deep breath and slowly cracked open the door where I was greeted by seemingly nothing. The only thing in there seemed to be a CPR dummy torso. Multiple pairs of differently shaped arms and legs were strewn about with various pairs of unorganized clothing. For a moment, I thought I was hearing things. Or that it was a neighbor coming through thin walls, but suddenly what I thought was an inanimate torso quickly turned his head toward me, let out a loud gasp for air, and shouted, Help me! Oh God, please help me! I am in so much pain! The shock and horror at the fact that this horribly disfigured person was alive nearly put me on my ass as I scrambled to slam the closet door shut. But it was too late. The man screaming had alerted Daisy and I could hear her inquiring about what was happening from the other room. It was now or never. I burst down the hallway, pushed past a waiting Daisy at the door, and made my way outside, sprinting down the dark street until I physically couldn't go any longer. The last thing I heard was Daisy running after me, screaming, Come back, please! Our baby needs you! We'll die without you! The sound of her voice slowly died out, and the moment I felt she was no longer coming after me, I called an Uber and sat in their car in silence for the rest of the way home. I called the police and explained everything that went down that night. The next day, I tried to get a follow-up on what exactly had happened. To my shock, I was told that they found absolutely nothing. Just a young woman living alone by herself. No kids, no torso in the closet, nothing. I didn't know how to take that information. I, I still don't. I don't know what I saw. And if Daisy is still out there hurting people, I don't know if I can live with the fact that she's freed me to other people and do horrible things to them. I would have assumed that the story ended there, but just the other night I got a phone call. It was Daisy. 
She told me that our kid said his first word. Apparently it was my name. She said that she loved me and that both she and the boy missed me dearly. And then... Silence. The next day I found a postcard in the mail that read, Soon we're going to be looking for daycare. Thinking of finding one closer to you so that your commute from work is easier. Looking forward to seeing you. With love. Daisy. I never once mentioned where I live, and I'm terrified of what this means for me. If any of you are doing the online dating thing, please hear me out. Make sure that you're really, really damn careful about who you choose to connect with. That choice might stick with you forever. I don't work for NASA. I'm a lowly office tech at a company affiliated with NASA. We store data off-site, mostly concerning their many secret unmanned missions to the moon, including the countless ones that took place between the Apollo launches. There are regular landings, even today. As you can imagine, we're not on the books. Still, we are a necessary facet of the Space Administration's delicate infrastructure. Now that you're up to speed, I can tell you about the room. Room 371, to be precise. The Overseer's Office. It always had an air of mystery about it, and other staff members have been inside before, tasked with leaving behind flasterize filled with sensitive information for the Overseer to upload to our database. You see, the sole computer in that room is an offline archive containing almost every one of NASA's dirty little secrets. Stuff that we can't risk getting out in the event of a data breach. If anyone were to hack into our online mainframe, they would only find decoy files, outlying pieces of data that have already been in the public's eye. Most of the information I dealt with amounted to mundane statistical analyses. The real interesting controversial stuff was sent directly to the overseer, bypassing the prying eyes of entry-level employment. That brings us to yesterday. It was a normal drop-off assignment. Bring the flash drive to room 371, leave it on the desk, and shut the door on your way out. I had done it countless times before. This time, however, was a little different. After placing the drive on the desk, I noticed a faint glow on the wall behind it. The computer was on. This was strange. It was always shut down by the overseer after a data dump. The only times I'd ever seen it turned on were days when he was in there, still working. I admit, my curiosity got the best of me. With a slight spike in adrenaline, I walked around the desk and sat at the chair, ready to take back at least one mystery to the hive mind on the main floor. The convenience in this moment cannot be understated. I later discovered that the overseer was sick and had rushed to the bathroom where he remained for at least 30 minutes. Not only was the computer on, but it was unlocked. 
Even our personal workstations required a series of passwords that changed daily. Passwords we had to spend the first 10 minutes of any given workday decrypting. This was the one and only chance I had to placate my curiosity and dig for the buried treasures of NASA. I knew there just had to be something in the confines of our database that would elicit a gasp or a mouth drop. Something I would remember for the rest of my years. And settling in at the desk, my heart pounding at the thought of the overseer's return. My notice the computer was calibrated just like the rest of our PCs. Because of this, I knew just what folders to open and what digital stones to turn on my hunt for secrets. Most files were your run-of-the-mill storage vessels, data pertaining to the boring truths of the trades, statistics, and physics predictions. After a few minutes of searching, I almost called it quits, but one document caught my eye. It was titled, Project Burial at Sea. This is what I wanted. A classified NASA project, never before released to the public. In this moment, secrets were revealed to me. Ones I soon wished I'd never unearthed. As is common with these types of documents, the jargon was very straightforward and low on description. As such, I had to piece together bits of information to form a clear picture of the proposal and subsequent missions that apparently started at the turn of our current century. What I discovered did indeed elicit a gasp. It also made my skin crawl. Project Burial at Sea was, ironically enough, a fail-safe against information leaks. It implemented the pre-existing infrastructure of NASA's unmanned missions to dispose of cracks in the system. That is, individuals likely to come clean about privileged information. Yes, you heard right. Individuals. NASA was killing off would-be whistleblowers to protect their assets. The initial proposal called for sending the bodies into deep space, but too many unknown variables presented themselves. If even one probe was knocked back to Earth by an asteroid or unforeseen space event, the entire operation would be done for. Especially if it landed in enemy territory. At that point, another country could use it to blackmail our government for aid and financial gain. Burying the bodies on the moon prevented this, and eliminated all potential evidence tying anyone to the crime. The people who vanished made up a very small portion of NASA, so the ratio of missing persons in relation to their workforce was barely disrupted, deflecting any potential suspicion. After a rigorous sterilization procedure, the bodies are stuffed into the hollow spaces of the previously unnamed probes. Once they reach the lunar surface, they're collected by rovers, of which there are many more than you're aware of, and buried in the craters of a specific section of the moon's dark side. In other words, mass graves. 
The rovers later collect samples to determine the long-term effects of the soil on human decomposition. This was not the purpose of the project, just an added benefit. I was floored. This document was not what I expected. I couldn't believe this sort of thing would happen in our country and at NASA of all places, an organization I was involved with. After closing the file and navigating back to the home screen, I left room 371 and shut the door. My worldview shattered. Upon returning to my workstation, my coworker Bill questioned me. Jack, where were you? Did you hear the overseer retching in the bathroom? Poor guy has that stomach bug that's been going around. I politely nodded, but offered no response to the initial query, still shaken. Bill buried his face back into his work. Eventually, the overseer returned, the sound of room 371's creaky iron door slamming shut behind him as he resumed work at his desk. Beads of sweat formed above my brow as I wondered if he would notice something amiss and would know that I perused the archive. My heart began racing as the paranoia took hold. I had to tell someone about my discovery. Perhaps I misinterpreted the information. Maybe Bill could put my mind at ease. He was a nice guy. Not the type to break a promise or betray his fellow worker. Bill, I whispered. Have you heard anything about NASA sending corpses to the moon? He stared at me a moment, an overly serious expression painted across his face. And then he laughed. <laughs> Jack, you're a card, man. Where do you come up with this stuff anyway? You should write a book. Without so much as a sound to alert his arrival, the overseer put his hand on my shoulder and nearly jumped out of my skin. Jack, I've been meaning to talk to you. A big promotion is in the works. Meet me in my office in ten minutes. With that, he loosened his grip and traveled back to room 371. My eyes widened, my heart sank. Bill noticed something was wrong. What's wrong, Jack? You look as though you've seen a ghost. Promotions are a big deal around here. Only one every few months or so. Lisa was promoted last year and went on to supervise one of the unnamed probe launches. Haven't heard from her since. I turned to Bill and met his gaze. Bill, it's... It's been real nice working with you. He smiled before turning back to his computer. You too, Jack. Ten torturous minutes came and went. I hesitantly made my way to room 371 and slowly opened the door. The overseer gestured for me to come in. Have a seat, Jack. And, uh... Close the door. I unwillingly obliged. The thought of making a run for it crossed my mind, but I knew the security detail at the front gate would stop me. Drawing attention to myself would only serve to expedite my demise. So, 
what's this about? I asked, my breathing now labored and sporadic. Like I said before, it's a promotion. NASA is recruiting some of its affiliate outfits to supervise some of their unmanned launches. You have been selected. I tilted my head in disbelief. <laughs> but sir, why me? I haven't done anything to warrant such a promotion to my knowledge. He grinned. That's where you're wrong, Jack. We've been watching you. We know what you did. You can't deny it any longer. With a wicked smile, he stood up from his desk and walked over to me, his arms outstretched in my direction. His shadow covered the entire room. Or at least it seemed that way in the moment. Without realizing it, I backed myself into the corner, almost cowering in fear. That's when the door opened and my co-workers flooded the room. Surprise! I stood upright, shocked. What's going on? Bill responded. Don't you know what day it is, Jack? The overseer pointed at his wall calendar. It was September 18th, which, according to them, was my hire date. It all made sense now. It was a ruse, a practical joke in my offense. The overseers sometimes did this on workplace anniversaries, but not for many years at this point, and never to this elaborate extent. I didn't even realize what day it was until they pointed it out. Did you really think I'd leave my computer on, unattended? Bill chimed in. Bodies can't even decompose on the moon, Jack. There's no air. They both let out hearty laughs, and I laughed too, thoroughly relieved. The rest of the afternoon was nice. After all was said and done, we returned to work, invigorated by the positive surge of energy and morale. After finishing my leftover task, I left with a smile on my face, happy to be Earthside, alive and well. His mood would follow me all the way home, but I wasn't alone. When I parked in my driveway, someone pulled in behind me. The overseer stepped out of the car and greeted me with a friendly wave. Jack, can we talk? House calls were unorthodox in our line of work, but not unheard of. Of course, Coulter. Please, come in. He followed me inside and joined me in the living room. I sat down, but he paced at the fireplace, looking over my family photos on the mantel. You know, what Bill said was true. Bodies don't decompose on the moon. That bit was added by NASA. They put falsehoods in all of their classified documents. It's another failsafe. A detail they can point to in the event of a leak to make sure it seems illegitimate. I was utterly confused. I'm not sure I follow. What are you getting at exactly? He turned to me, a stern look painted across his face. It's all real, Jack. The dead bodies. The craters. Everything. <laughs> you should have never 
sat at my desk. I chuckled. <laughs> Come on, Coulter, the, the joke's over. There's no need to drag it out. He wasn't laughing. This is no joke. You were hired in July, not September. I sent out a last-minute memo to everyone in an attempt to avert your suspicion. Here, we can discuss things privately. Very funny. You're forgetting about my wife and daughter. A smirk touched the side of his cheek. He tossed me an envelope. Inside were photos of my wife picking up our daughter from school. My heart sank. What the hell is this, Coulter? You following my family around? We've intercepted them. Let's just say they'll be late getting home tonight. The gravity of the situation was beginning to sink in. If everything I saw was indeed real, then I was now a target. I would soon become the next NASA casualty buried at sea. If I didn't escape and get help, Charlotte and Leslie would never be saved. My eyes darted for the door. Coulter noticed. I wouldn't run if I were you. I didn't come alone. My blood boiling, I was tempted to lash out in anger. Don't worry. They're safe. I remained silent but livid. There are things in this universe you cannot begin to understand. Things not only above your pay grade, but above your understanding. Things human words could never hope to describe. Human? I asked, perplexed by the wording. Yes, Jack. Let me show you. What happened next was enough to put my mouth on the floor. Using his right hand in a singular, circular motion in the air, Coulter opened up a portal. A fucking portal. One that seemed to connect my living room to the moon. I could even see Earth off in the distance. What in God's name is that? I shouted. Come on, Jack. Get a closer look. As his hostage, I had no choice but to humor his demands. Upon stepping up to the void, still frazzled, I saw it. A crater filled to the brim with corpses. Why? Why are you showing me this? I asked in a shaky voice. Just watch, Jack. I looked back to the scene and noticed something at the edge of the crater. Three shadowy figures far too tall to be human. They extended their arms and a glow rained down from space above the crater. The corpses. They moved. I watched in horror as the bodies were reanimated, but these were not living things. They were shells controlled by a puppeteer, bent to its sinister will. The three shadows became one and formed an archway, a blinding brightness pouring out from within. One by one, the corpses walked into the light until finally 
crater was emptied. And then the light dissipated and the shadows spun in unison, taking off at a great speed into the abyss of space. With another wave of his arm, Coulter closed the portal. I was speechless. You see, Jack, Project Burial at Sea is more than a safety measure. It's a necessary sacrifice to them. So, all those bodies, I asked. No, no. Only some were would-be whistleblowers. The rest, John and Jane Doe's, left at morgues across the country with no relatives to claim them. Where did they take them? I asked. To the places where they live. There, they're forced to build, stuck in the space between life and death for an eternity, slaves to an alien race. It's a truly terrible fate. We would all be there right now if not for the deal we struck back in 1947. These creatures don't bode well in our atmosphere. We placate their every need to keep them from developing a technology capable of mitigating the effect our air has on their bodies and spacecraft. I couldn't believe it. Everything I knew up to that point was a lie. Coulter walked to the door. I like you, Jack. That's why I'm telling you all of this. I want to keep you on. You're a good man and a good worker. If you don't want to end up like the poor souls upon that hunk of space rock, keep your mouth shut. I heard a car pull in outside. Looks like your wife and daughter are home. We just took them out for ice cream. Before closing the door on his way out, the overseer turned back with a smile. See you on Monday, Jack. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful day, afternoon, or night, wherever you are. I hope you enjoyed the two stories tonight. I know... Uh, they're a little bit shorter than what we've been doing here lately, but I haven't been in the greatest of headspaces the past couple of days, so I've just kind of, I've been putting a video out for a long time, and I decided to just kind of push through it and get one out, and I thought these two stories were really good. Um, the second one's definitely my favorite, and it gave me the idea of posing a new question, kind of how we have been doing for a little while. Two questions, actually. The first one's plain and simple. Do you believe in aliens? Do you think there is something out there in the universe or a different universe, a different galaxy somewhere, somewhere in space that we don't know about yet? And when do you think we will learn about it? How close do you think we are to learning about a new life form out there somewhere? And secondly, and try to keep this one a little tame. I don't want to go too crazy in the comments, but are there any conspiracy theories that you personally believe in, that you subscribe to? Anything, you know, just anything. Any little, simple, funny, silly, crazy conspiracy theories that you find yourself 
believing? And what's your reasoning behind it? I would really, really love to hear it. But again, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you're all having a wonderful week. And take care of yourselves, each other, and as always, sleep tight.